What advice would you give an aspiring investor that's six to 12 months behind where you are right now? Find people that you like, that you can learn from, and that would be willing to invest in you and get close to those people. This is a this is a business of proximity to people who are, you know, are serious and are professional. But if you're just water cooler talking with your buddies at work about buying apartment complexes, you're not going to get very far because they're not going to be the person to get you there. You need to find those people. So say yes to the meetups, say yes to the happy hours, say yes to the conferences, go network, tell your story, and don't be scared to say, I'm a newbie. I have nothing going for me, but I want to be successful in this business. People want to help you in multifamily. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast with your host, Brian Briscoe. In this podcast, we bring some of the top professionals in the apartment investing field to discuss various aspects of the apartment investing journey with the sole purpose of educating listeners to make wise investment decisions. The Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast is sponsored by Four Oaks Capital, bringing you high yield returns through apartment complex investing. Cameron, hey, super excited to have you on the show again, and thanks for coming on. Appreciate your time. I'm thrilled to be here. I appreciate you for having me back on. Yeah, it's super exciting. I mean, this is the the first deal episode. You know, I remember we first talked, I think it was last July, you know, when we talked and I I think the episode, I I should know this better, but I think the episode released the first week of August, last week of July, but uh, episode 11 with John Kasman and, you know, great, great talking to you and excited to have you back on after having closed your first deal. So congratulations on that. Thank you. It was uh, it was one of the best feelings ever. So I'm excited yeah. to talk about it. I know, I know. Just that, getting that first one across the table. I don't know. For for me, it was a super super stressful event. And once it was over, it was just like, <sighs> you know, big sigh of relief. And it's just like we did it. Oh yeah. You know? So we did it. We but, did it. Uh, we did it. Awesome. So let, let's talk about that first episode. I mean, John Kasman is awesome. You know, I, mm. I you know think the world of him. You know, what are some of the things that, that you learned from from talking with him? I learned a lot mm-hmm. and John is amazing. And if you don't know John Kasman, you need to, mm-hmm. he's awesome. The best piece of advice he left me with was I, I asked him essentially, what's a timeless exercise that we can do to grow our business? Yes. I remember that and question. He said a very well crafted mm-hmm. email campaign. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, email's dead. It's not yeah. dead. It's alive. And you need to learn how to make it work for you in a way that doesn't bury your time, that isn't you know an unattractive six-paragraph email no one wants to read, but how to craft a very strategic, attractive, um, well-thought-out email mm-hmm. to continually to touch the people that you need to be touching or communicating information you need to be communicating. And so that for me was huge because that yeah. took my email game up 10 levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And John, uh, prior to transitioning to the real estate investing business was a professional marketer. You know, I, I think yeah. I remember right. He was either, he was dealing with like eight figure marketing budgets and working for some huge companies. So, you know, a lot of gold nuggets were dropped and, you know, he's, he's absolutely amazing. So, but let's, uh, let's talk more about you. Let's, let's, you know, revisit your background and history and, um, you know, what got you into apartment investing? Yeah. So I was working for a company here in Dallas that sold commercial office furniture mm-hmm. sales. I was account executive representing fortune 500 companies and I enjoyed it and it, it taught me how to sell. But um, my grandfather passed away in the summer of 2018 mm-hmm. and he was my hero. And when he died, he had some real estate 
some different passive streams of income. He was a pretty successful businessman too. And so when he died, I was my mind started thinking about real estate investments. Well, in December of 2018, I picked up the cash flow quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki. I didn't intend on doing that. I was mm-hmm. actually going to Barnes and Noble to buy a business book because I wanted to climb that corporate ladder and be the CEO. Yeah. I just saw this book, looked at it, read the bio, bought it, read that book at the end of 2018. It changed everything for me. Mm-hmm. That's when I realized, okay, my mind has completely changed for the better, I believed. Yeah. Still believe that. And I need to start figuring out how to invest in cash flow producing assets. Yeah. Get over to the B and I quadrants. Get out of that E, you know, and that's 100%. that's where I've that's where I've been for the last twenty years, and that's that's what I'm doing now is trying to move to the B and I quadrants. So yeah, yeah, it's important. And I have a nice college education, mm-hmm. went through high school, and yeah. I feel like I got more value out of that book than I did my business degree that yeah. I spent tens of thousands of dollars on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think one of the flaws with our education is our education system prepares people to be employees that it, it oh, yeah. prepares people to sit squarely in that E quadrant. And, you know, in the E quadrant, you know, if anybody hasn't picked up the book, you know, his four quadrants, employee, self-employed business owner, investor, but uh, you know, it, it teaches people how to be employees, how to be cogs in the system. And if you really want to have financial freedom, you've got to break loose of that mold. So hundred percent. Yeah, it, it's not found in paying high taxes your entire life. Yeah, yeah. So you read, you read cash flow quadrant. You're working at office furniture company, mm-hmm. and then what? What? What did you do from there? Then I read Multifamily Millions by David Lenthal, mm-hmm. and that was the Classic. book that inspired me and really made me believe, like me, mm-hmm. a middle yeah. class dude selling office furniture, mm-hmm. could own these apartment complexes. I drive by. I used to live in them. Mm-hmm. And um, so I went down the rabbit trail and was like, found new passion mm-hmm. and new like purpose. This is what I wanted to do to not only as a career, but to build my wealth and build a legacy and and leave an inheritance for my children's children someday. And I just kept learning and growing. And then I hired a mentor that we found, yep. bigger pockets, studying under him. We would literally drive to the back of our office mm-hmm. at lunch on our lunch hour, be on phone call with him taking notes in my car mm-hmm. on homework and understanding and learning how to underwrite and everything and then go back to work and then mm-hmm. just apply that later when we got off work. Yeah. Yeah. So, so sounds like, sounds like you built the business largely outside of regular hours. Um, so what were, what were some of the challenges you faced getting started going from, you know, the, the office furniture salesman to the real estate investor? Yeah. Part of the challenge was just getting over each hurdle because when you're learning about multifamily investing, doing it actively. There's multiple points where you can just come to the conclusion, you know what, it'd be easier to be a W-2 employee, make a lot of money and passively invest in real estate, which Mm -hmm. that's a great thing to do. There's nothing wrong with that, but I didn't want to do that. It was just committing yourself to learning how to underwrite, Mm -hmm. learning how to talk to brokers, learning how to scan a market to understand where where the growth is, is it coming, is it leaving? And those things take time and dedication on learning how to do those things. And so, you know, it was just all about grinding to learn this business and it's tough, <laughs> but it's totally worth it. Yeah. You know, and it, it is a grind, you know, my, my wife and I were talking about, you know, our, you know, this, this conversation happened three years ago and, you know, we were talking about doing similar to what you did, you know, getting, getting a mentor 
you know, and paying into a mentorship program. And my wife basically likened it to a master's degree. She's like, well, you know, it's almost like you're getting another master's degree, you know, and that's really what it is. I mean, the, the amount of effort you have to put in to, to do well in this business is probably the equivalent of, you know, a postgraduate degree. I agree completely. That's a good way to put it. And it makes total sense to me. It is very, because you have to discipline yourself to sit down, read the books, learn how to underwrite, reach out to people, ask the questions to pick their brains. It doesn't come overnight. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. So, so how, I mean, how long did you spend your, your nights and weekends working towards the side hustle that is now your, your main hustle? A lot. <laughs> I realized along the way too, I can't just do this during lunch, Monday mm-hmm. through Friday. You know, there'd be multiple nights where I'd be sitting in Starbucks until they closed, ripping through an Excel sheet mm-hmm. and OMs and T12s and rent rolls, trying to learn how to underwrite. And they just 11 o'clock got to go. Then I'd go home and pick it up the next time I could at, at lunch or after or on the weekends. So I don't know exactly, but I know it was a lot. It was a lot of time. Yeah. All right. Now, speaking of that, I think it'd be a great time to talk about you know, when did you realize that you couldn't do it by yourself? And, you know, what did that lead you to do? Because I know, I know, you know, right now you're in Golden and Roy Capital, you've got a partner and you, you partner with some other people on your deal. So when did that realization come and what did you do? How did you go about finding partners and aligning yourself with a team? Yeah. So one of my business partners, I met him at the company I worked for mm-hmm. at this furniture company. We formed our company to do this. And then, um, I quit my W2 job in February of 2020 last year to go all in here. My wife and I had been good stewards of our money. We saved a lot and we wouldn't have really been negatively affected by losing my income. So we're like, let's Mm -hmm. take the risk. And uh, I jumped headfirst in and I was trying to get my first deal, like grinding, meeting with brokers, walking properties, underwriting them, submitting LOIs and realized every deal I got from broker was like the 10th look from, Mm -hmm. and no bank was taking me serious. Yep because I didn't have a track record. And so I spent about the better half of four to five months not really moving anywhere because I didn't understand that you need to leverage other people and their ability and their track record, especially when you're starting out. So I started going to find sponsors and GPs, building relationships with them who could get the first look, who could get the loan, who could execute a business plan um, and see if we could bring them any value to the deal and if they'd let us be a part of it. So it mm-hmm. took a while. I mean, more months than it should have, but it's just, you know, it's all learning. It's all hindsight now. Yeah. You know, and it sounds like your, your trajectory is a lot like mine, but there, there's a whole bunch of trial and error, you know, there was a whole yeah. bunch of, yeah, I can do this, you know, and then realizing, you know, several months later that, Oh my gosh, you know, I really do need somebody else to, to do that. Or wow. I didn't realize that to get a loan, you have to have somebody on your team with experience, you know, just, just little things like that. I, I'm sure somebody tried to explain it to me early on, but uh, just, you know, didn't quite, you know, sink into my brain. But uh, so where, where did you end up finding the, the the lead sponsor for the deal that you worked in? And how did you build that relationship with him? Yeah. So when I started out to, after I quit my job, I was saying yes to everything. And this is just when COVID hit. So all the yeah. Zoom meetups, the happy hours. And I was showing up and then eventually found a mastermind and mm-hmm. I liked it and I joined it. And this guy happened to be a part of that mastermind. Mm-hmm. And so before the deal, we knew each other, we were building a relationship, part of the same group, told him where I was. 
And he essentially said, Hey man, like whenever I started out, we had someone come along and let us essentially ride their curtails and, mm-hmm. and leverage their experience to take down a deal. He said, we want to do the same for other people like you trying mm-hmm. to get in and could just use some help from somebody. And so, you know, they were gracious enough to, to take us in. Of course, we need to figure out how we could add value. And we did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is just such a helpful community I've learned. Everyone is always willing in most cases to extend their advice, their resources, or their help in the multifamily space. And they were just a shining example of that. But it was because I was just saying yes to everything in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Like I was carving time for all these meetups. Yeah. I mean, just just out of curiosity, how many hours a week do you think you spent devoted to to networking and, and talking to other people? The majority. In the beginning, I was having more meetings set up just for people trying to engage and ask questions and you mm-hmm. know get some help than I was in my sales job when I was selling furniture. Mm-hmm. So I was more busy with meetings. So yeah, you quit your W-2 job and mm-hmm. you ended up doing more than what you did in your W-2 job. I, I think that's that's true of a lot of people. I mean, you know, one, one of the misconceptions of going back to the Robert Kiyosaki model, you know, people in the employee quadrant, your employee, you leave work and you know, you leave work at work, you know, but uh, to be a business owner, to be an investor, uh, it takes an enormous amount of time to build something and to, to get it to the point to where, you know, you can have that time freedom, you can have that location freedom that most people are looking for. So, mm-hmm. so good. So, and then an enormous amount of time networking, you put yourself out there, you joined a mastermind, you're participating with the mastermind, you started building a relationship and finally spark, you know, you got that little spark right there that you needed. So yes. Yeah. Awesome. That's all it took. Cool. Cool. So, so tell us about the, the deal here a little bit, you know, how that uh, came together and you know, what role you guys played in it. Yeah. So it came together with the guy I was talking about in the mastermind I met, they are the lead sponsors on the deal. We partnered with them. You know, we leveraged their ability to, to get the deal, to get the loan. They had a KP, you know, I was still, you know, trying to figure out who a KP could be for me. And the deal is actually in my backyard, which was the best part in Dallas is a 120 unit deal, B-class asset, workforce housing, pretty stabilized. Mm-hmm. We had a value add play, but it wasn't a heavy value add play, just mm-hmm. stabilized small things over time. And yep. they took us on, let us come on board and be a part of the sponsorship team. And, you know, we raised capital. We we're met with the property management company doing due diligence on the property, which was just awesome mm-hmm. to experience that instead of reading about it, yeah. walking and understanding how these things work. And, um, you know, I think the most attractive thing for them with us was that we are just the guys on the sponsor team that are there mm-hmm. in location, which is very nice in case something bad happens or something yeah. needs to be dealt with immediately. No one has to get on a plane. I can get in my Jeep and drive 30 minutes and I'm there. And so that's a huge plus. Yeah, that that is. And Incidentally, you know, to qualify for a lot of commercial loans, the lenders want to see somebody on a GP there on site. It, it does make your team a lot stronger as far as you know being competitive for the the best rates and terms on a loan when somebody is in the local market. So you know you end up being the boots on the ground. You're helping out due diligence. You're raising capital, and now you're the break glass in case of an emergency part of the GP that you know fires up the Jeep and drives a little bit. And that's, uh, I, I got to say, it's it's definitely helpful to be close to your assets. In in our company, you know, we, we have eight different properties and they're all, you know, within two hour drive of each other in, in Carolinas and Georgia. But I started out as our asset manager and I'm in DC and two of my partners are in South Carolina. So 
we, we realized really quickly that they would do a much better job managing it just because of the proximity. And, you know, it would take me an arm and a leg, you know, to get off of my work and to travel down and, and have those meetings that they can just, you know, do what you did, get in a car and drive, you know, 90 minutes or an hour, one direction and, and do the same thing. So definitely a, a value add to, to the sponsorship group being there, you know, definitely a value add to sponsorship group, you know, as far as raising capital. And it started with a relationship, which, you know, a lot of people say this is a relationship business. I think this is, you know, the proof's in the pudding. So, well, there's an old saying, you know, you can go faster alone or further together Yeah. in multifamily. It's not the case. It's that you can go faster and further together. Mm -hmm. This is a team sport. And the quicker that, you know, you realize that the, the better off you'd be and to develop the strategic partnerships with people that you like, that you get along with, that you trust mm -hmm. um, and start yeah. moving together quicker. Yeah, I think that's true because the, the system's actually set up so that the brand new guys can't even get in. There's a big barrier to entry and it's it's mainly dictated by the lenders. I mean, the brokers, the brokers have a say in it as well, but you know, you have to be able to qualify for a commercial loan. And they want to have somebody with experience and the brokers have the same mindset. You know, they don't want to waste time with somebody who's not going to close. And so they're looking for somebody experienced. So big barrier to entry for new people coming in. And if they don't have that team built around them, they're not going to go anywhere. So I, I yeah. think that's a, that's a very, you know, wise play on an old, old saying that's held true for most things. So, yeah. Um, so let's talk, you know, a little bit more about, you know, your role in it. Um, you said that, you know, one of your principal jobs was raising capital, which I think, you know, a lot of people are interested in. Did you have any setbacks or any challenges in, in raising capital or lessons learned, so to speak? Oh, yeah. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. Yeah. Um, Huge. You know, I learned quickly that until money is wired, they're not an investor. Yeah. They may be an investor in someone else's deal, but they're not an investor in your deal until the money is in the bank. Mm-hmm. And um, that's just the way it goes, you know, and I'm glad that I came from a world of sales too, because mm -hmm. I, you know, I learned that in the sales world as well. You know, you think you'd have a big contract lined up, everything seems to be going great. And then they ghost you, where'd they mm -hmm. go? And, you know, it's just part of the process of learning, ask better questions, yeah. you know, instead of doing a webinar on the deal and then saying, Hey, if you're interested, give me a thumbs up or do you like the deal? And they say, yeah. That doesn't mean they're going to wire you $50,000 or $100,000. You need to ask things like, hey, what would prevent you from investing in this deal? So mm -hmm. that you can know, maybe answer some questions or explain some things that weren't clear or just know, hey, they're an investor. They're just not going to be one of my deals. So I'm not going to presume on their 100K. Yeah. And, and we we learned the same thing. We, we've now closed on eight. And you know the first one, we, we had a lot of a lot of issues that were exactly the same where somebody said, Hey, we're going to invest 75 or a hundred. And then, you know, end of the day, it led us to do exactly that. Ask better questions. You know, what, what I like is, you know, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being, you know, I'll wire my money. And as soon as we're off this call and, you know, one being not interested, where, where, where are you right now? And we also asked them, I think one of the big, biggest tripping points we had was people who didn't have money liquid, who said they wanted to invest. Yeah. You know, so we started to ask, you know, that question qualifying up front, are you going to be able to wire money on said deadline? You know, when, once they express interest and say they want to invest, that's a question that we've asked to be able to qualify people and just make sure that at least they don't have to go through the process of rolling it over into an SDIRA first from their retirement accounts or whatever. But better questions, I think is huge and better for qualification. And I, I think 
once once you start implementing those things, you're definitely going to see a much higher rate, a much higher close rate with with the people. Yeah, so. and and the reason too, from like back to the beginning of this, was the reason that's the reason why a good email campaign is so important. Mm-hmm. One of the best words an investor can hear is no. Investors who drag their feet and hey, like like to invest. Sorry, we're fully funded. We'll yeah. let you know about the next deal. Creates a sense of urgency for the next deal, so they don't mm-hmm. drag their feet. Yeah, and that's that's absolutely true. We we've seen it work in our own case and things that I've been interested in. You know, when I get told no, you're too late. It's just always like shoot. You know, I, I need to I need to pull be ready to pull the trigger faster next time. You know, and and we we've had deals that have you know fully funded within a week or or even less. And being able to say that to your, your investor group, I, I like that. You know, just say, hey, look, last time we funded in 72 hours, we expect to fill this one quickly. So come to the webinar with, you know, your checkbook in hand or ready yeah. to wire funds. But of course, there there's a lot of work before you get them to the webinar so that they're comfortable, you know, writing that check or wiring the money. But you just got to make sure you're broadcasting, you know, timelines and you make sure the, the expectations that they got to move quickly are there. Yeah, I agree. It helps the process and it helps them know this guys are serious. And if I want to invest, I need to make up my mind quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So capital raise, you had a couple of lessons learned, but uh, in the end, you guys were able to close. Now, now something that, that, you know, I've, I've talked with lots of people who close deals and there always seems to be something that hangs hangs up that, that delays closing a little bit. Uh, were there any such hangups or delays in, in your guys' process? Yeah, there was. So the previous property management company, a few weeks out before we were supposed to close, um, the bank wanted an updated T3 and we got it to them. And there was a significant loss in income from turnover mm-hmm. to the extent of like 28%. Wow, and so the bank swing. Huge. And so obviously the bank, you know, hits the emergency break on everything. Yeah. And so we're like, okay, what just happened? Was there a major employer in the area that a lot of our tenants live at that just laid off everybody. Well, come to find out the property management company was not updating things appropriately and properly. And so they lumped like the past three months of turnover mm-hmm. into one month oh, on their geez. documents. And, and so, so it, it all hit happened oh, wow. at one time and it didn't. And so, but that, that delayed closing about a month. Cause then we had to go in and audit and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden the bank wanted T1 um, and just prove out like we don't have now like 70% occupancy yeah. and it was just a, something to deal with, but that's what it was. So what, what kind of loan did you guys get agency debt or was did you guys get some sort of bridge product? No, it was agency. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that is huge for agency because you know, it, it's, it's a government sponsored entity that uh, is you know, setting the terms and conditions of the loan and they require, you know, 90% occupancy for 90 days. And so when those numbers came across, I mean, all of a sudden that puts you guys out of loan. If those numbers are true and accurate, that puts you guys out of the loan completely. And the clock starts back up again at 90%. So, yep. you know, that that's absolutely huge and definitely a showstopper for a lender on, on an agency debt. And I mean, even, even if the occupancy stayed above 90, that, that, big of a, of a swing on income is going to change the debt service ratios, which will affect proceeds. I mean, that could be a huge, huge turn of events, but end of the day, you guys went through the audit, you, you got things fixed, I, I presume, sent them the corrected documents. And I mean, I assume the bank just said, okay, yep, we're good now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it took long. Yeah. It took a, a good month to get there, but that's where we got. And 
you know, we have new property management on the on um, property now and yep. documenting and numbers. It's very nice and straightened out today. So yeah. <laughs> that, it keeps the bank happy. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely keeps, you definitely want to keep the bank happy, you know, and if yes. you don't, they've got a lot of recourses, you know, they, they put a lot of little things, a lot of little statements into that, the documents that you sign to keep you keeping them happy, but definitely want to keep them happy. So, all right. So you get to the closing, it was delayed by a month. How, how about some big lessons learned post-closing? You know, what's, what challenges have you guys faced and where are you guys sitting right now? Yeah. Post-closing has been awesome because the property so stabilized mm-hmm. We came in, it was like 92% occupied. We have it at 100% now. And um, we had big turnover in January, but that was because of eviction process we had to go through. Mm -hmm. Just a lot of people with bad debt not paying. And, you know, we needed to solve that issue. And we did. And those units were already leased up before the evictions even happened. And it's also just working with your property management company to make sure that things are going accordingly. I mean, here in Texas, a few weeks ago, if you... You remember because it made national news. We essentially mm-hmm. lost all power because of snowmageddon. That's what they're calling it. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, it was big too. I mean, it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like I was in Colorado, but in Dallas, and um, a lot of people lost power, a lot of busted pipes, a lot of things. Yeah. And we weathered that storm well. We property was just fine, thank goodness, because mm-hmm. I know some properties that suffered some major damage, yeah. but ours didn't. And it was just working with our tenants to communicate, hey, please make sure that your faucets are dripping, that your that your lines aren't just turned off. Um, yeah, disconnect yeah. any hose from exterior faucets, if any. I mean, there, there's yes. lots of things. Now, I, mean, I grew up in Salt Lake City, you know, so these things were normal. You know, it's just like, okay, winter's coming. You know, we have to take certain steps to winterize the home and the pipes are the biggest thing. You, you got to make sure that those pipes aren't going to freeze or you're going to have major problems later. But uh, yep. Yeah. But um. It's been awesome, man. It's been a really nice experience post-close and we're doing the things that we're, you know, we intend to do in our value add plan, mm-hmm. painting the building, adding security, restrapping the parking lot, putting in a new gym. It's just, it's been so cool to see it come to life. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. Awesome. All right. So, you know, one question I like to ask, you know, usually it comes up earlier in the podcast, but now is as good of a time as any, you know, what is your big burning why? What what motivates you to to be successful and to pursue multifamily? Yeah, my big burning why is to help people reach their greatest potential. Mm-hmm. And I've realized along the way that a lot of people in life don't even get to attempt going after that potential because of a financial burden. Mm-hmm. You know, I worked in the corporate world. I just heard so many people say with so many different things, hobbies, desires, goals, dreams, I'd love to, but I can't afford to. Yeah. If only, if only. And so I, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, there's gotta be a better way than people just starting this stuff when they're 65 and don't have to show up to the office anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I learned, you know, about multifamily and the world of investing. And I was so frustrated. It's like, why was this amazing asset class and opportunity not taught in high school or even mm-hmm. an option to learn about in college? Yeah. Why did I have to pick up a book in Barnes and Noble learn about this? Mm-hmm. So I want to just be successful, prove the concept, earn the trust of people and teach them and help them be a resource for deploying capital in a way that's positive for them, that helps them you know, reach their greatest potential, whatever that may be in life, so that finances are no longer a burden, but yeah. a blessing. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things, you know, I, I really believe in, in helping other people and, and giving back to the community. And the better you are financially, the more you can get back. You know, it's just one of those things where, you know, it's, 
it's good for everybody to be able to be in a good, solid financial position. So I agree, um, man. Cool. Hey, so, so what's next for you? Yeah. So some interesting things I am in the process right now, nothing is official. I'm in the process of maybe shifting gears or directions in the multifamily space for myself. I have this property with my business partner and, mm-hmm. and I've loved it and I've enjoyed every part of it. But as I've, as time has gone on, I've realized even more that the thing that I love the most, and I think that I'm, you know, the best at as far as the things I'm good at Mm -hmm. is selling the vision, talking with people, bringing on investors, raising capital. So I am potentially starting to consider going into this industry in a secondary position Mm -hmm. and starting a fund and bringing in capital partnering with a few strategic operators who we know close deals, mm-hmm. have experience, um, we have good relationships with, and we could help fund their deals that meet our criteria for our investors so that we don't have to be so committed to the um, operation of the property. We mm-hmm. have people that do that and are good at it, and we can be just committed with all of our energy to our investors and our fund. So that's not official, but that's most likely the direction I'm leaning right now. Yeah. You know, and, and a lot of operators, you know, people, people who are, are good at that, um, they need good people who can who they can partner with as capital partners. And the fund structure alleviates a lot of the concerns that a lot of operators have with, you know, bringing on capital raisers because there's, there's SEC regulations that we have to follow. Yep. And that fund, you know, is going to put you, you know, right square in the the green box of, yes, you can do this. And it's, it's a lot lower risk for a lot of operators to bring money from a fund in than to bring, you know, one guy into the GP just to raise money. But yeah, well, hey, best of luck on that one. And I hope Thanks, it's, uh, it works well for you. Me too. Now, here, here's my favorite question of these uh, first deal episodes. Okay. What advice would you give an aspiring investor that's six to 12 months behind where you are right now? Find people that you like, that you can learn from, and that would be willing to invest in you Mm -hmm. and get close to those people. Nice. This is a business of proximity to people who are, you know, are serious and are professional. And I don't, you know, I look back at my journey, every time I actually got serious about something in multifamily, it was whenever I, I was close to somebody who was a professional Mm-hmm. whether it was my mentor or my partners or brokers, whoever. But if you're just water cooler talking with your buddies at work about buying apartment complexes, you're not going to get very far because they're not going to be the person to get you there. You need to find those people. So say yes to the meetups, say yes to the happy hours, say yes to the conferences, go network, tell your story and don't be scared to say I'm a newbie. I have nothing going for me, but I want to be successful in this business. Yeah. People want to help you in multifamily. In most cases, you might run into somebody who's a little off-putting, but most yeah. people want to help. So yeah. get close to them. You know, it's it's very inspiring to see successes. And I remember, you know, kind of a, a mind-blowing, eye-opening experience I had at one of these big conferences, right? I remember, you know, somebody who was a couple of years ahead of me put his hand on my shoulder and said, you know, I told him I was a newbie. You know, I told him where I was. We had a lot of things in common, um, both both military. He had just retired. I'm getting ready to retire. He pointed to the hundreds of people in the room and he said, none of those guys are any better or any worse than you are. <laughs> it's like, and a lot of those guys are doing exactly what you want to do. And that was just one of those little watershed moments. It was just like, yeah, he's right. 
I can do this, but you know, I walk totally. away from, I walk away from those meetings with, with so much energy, just, just talking with people who are doing it. And, and you're right. It's, it's definitely, you know, one of these businesses where people do genuinely want to help in a lot of cases, except for those one or two guys that, but yeah, yeah. We, we don't talk to them anyway. No, not at so, all. <laughs> well, cool. Cool. Well, Hey, Hey Cameron, it's been great having you on the show. One last question for you. How can our listeners learn more about you? You can go to cameronroy.com. Mm-hmm. My landing page where everything there is about me, what I'm doing, what I'm up to. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to learn more about me there, you can also email me Cameron at CameronRoy.com. If you want to get in touch, be happy to talk. All right. And we'll put the, all that information down in the show notes. So if you're interested in reaching out to Cameron, you know, just, you know, tap the show notes, swipe and tap his contact information. And this magical thing called the internet will whisk you away. So, <laughs> um, and there we go. So once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolute pleasure, you know, excited to, to hear about your successes you know, since, you know, last July when we recorded our first uh, Ask the Expert episode, um, yeah. you know, and you're now officially, you know, aspiring to experience. So congratulations. Man, thanks, Brian. I appreciate you having me on. This was fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at foroakscapital.com slash podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show, so pull out your phone, tap subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.